Hello and welcome to Boiled Down. I'm your host, Greg Astley, Orla, Director of Government Affairs. Today, we're talking about federal advocacy for the lodging industry with Chip Rogers, President and CEO, American Hotel and Lodging Association. But first, we want to make sure you're getting the most out of your membership. And to help you do that, we like to highlight a benefit you may or may not be aware of. Did you know Orla members receive 10% off advertising campaigns with the Oregonian and OregonLive.com? Plus, first-time advertisers receive an additional 5% off their first order. And new Orla members can take advantage of either a complimentary sponsored article or a montage video package on OregonLive.com. Visit OregonRLA.org savings to learn more. Not a member? Visit OregonRLA.org where you can join and start taking advantage of numerous cost-saving benefits. And now I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Chip Rogers, President and CEO, American Hotel and Lodging Association. Chip, welcome to Boil Down. Greg, it's so great to be with you. Thanks for having me. You bet. I know the last two years have been busy, obviously. Um, you know, most people think about restaurants uh, because of some of the shutdowns, including here in Oregon. But really, uh, hotels were among the first hit by COVID because of the travel restrictions, uh, because of the cancellations of business trips and things. Um, at the federal level, the American Rescue Plan Act provided for some relief for hotels. What were some of the items that AHLA was advocating for and what are some of the key takeaways for lodging properties in the American Rescue Plan Act? Well, first, thanks for asking that question. You know, as we went through the entire process that began very early in the pandemic, really in March of 2020, Congress started working on legislation to help the economy, help individuals. Um, and we, we started working on federal issues at that point as well that were specifically focused on getting money in the hands of hoteliers. Now, that was, of course, during the Trump administration, a different Congress. And I'll, I'll go back to that later. But ARPA specifically came on very late. In fact, it was the last major uh, financial assistance, and it came out of the Biden administration. And part of the American Rescue Plan dedicated a certain amount of money to state and local governments uh, for the purposes of assisting hospitality and tourism. Uh, by that time, early in the Biden administration, people were well aware that the industries hurt most, included hotels, included restaurants. And so our, our, our focus, uh, I won't say it necessarily shifted, but it began to look at what's happening at the state and local level as well and began working with our partners, just like ORLA and, and, and your counterparts across the country. And so far, there's been a lot of success. Now, it's important to keep in mind that these states have until 2024 to determine how they're going to spend the money and until 2026 to determine uh, or to actually spend the money. But we've seen some huge successes so far. Uh, North Carolina created a $300 million direct stimulus program for hospitality. I want to thank Lynn Menges and the team at NCRLA for doing that. Texas and Scott Joslove and their team uh, was able to work through their legislature, get $180 million to the tourism and hospitality industry. We had big wins in Wisconsin with Bill Elliott and his team getting $75 million for the lodging industry. Maryland had a $50 million grant relief program specifically for hotels. It's also important that Maryland's money came early in the process, even before ARPA. You had Indiana with money, uh, Washington, D.C., Delaware, Florida, and then most recently a big win in Illinois uh, as the uh, association there led by Michael Jacobson does a phenomenal job, was able to get $75 million specifically through grants to hoteliers. So when you add it all up, 
hundreds of millions of dollars, and this is going to continue to come our way uh, over the next few years. And we'll continue to work with state and local governments to make sure that hotels are getting their fair share. And Chip, I know that's important because as we're realizing now, it's it's not necessarily that um, you know hotels are doing all right now, but it's the debt load that they have from the last two years that they're still having to pay. So that financial assistance, obviously through the ARPA funds or any other local grants that may be coming, is critical in making sure that they can continue to operate in there and keep their doors open. Yeah, you know, Greg, I kind of put it this way: a good good analogy would be if you lost your your good paying job and you had to go work part time. Um, and your your uh, income was cut by you know sixty percent for two years, and you had to put everything on a credit card, and you built up all this debt just because you find a new job uh, at the same rate that you were previously doesn't mean that that big hole you created uh, is no longer there. You got to figure a way to dig out of it, and so all this financial assistance is certainly helping an industry that has lost one hundred and sixty five billion dollars between two thousand twenty and two thousand twenty one combined. Wow. Well, that's a great analogy, and I think one that people can relate to. So I'm, I'm going to steal that and use it myself when I keep talking <laughs> <do>. about this. <laughs> well, you know, as we do continue to recover from the global pandemic, uh, a lot of hotels, a lot of lodging properties are looking at the return of business travel uh, to try to help us get back to where we were pre-pandemic. Again, obviously, that was a huge blow to a lot of places, um, missing those kinds of you know conventions and just the regular business travel. But you know, AHLA recently conducted a study on business travel that provided some statistics related to that return. Can you talk about some of the key findings from that survey? Yeah, we can. And it's so important that we recognize, Greg, the value of business travel. I think people, particularly elected officials, they see what's happening now with folks going on vacation and they think, well, everything's okay. Uh, The business traveler and the leisure traveler are completely different. You know that the industry understands that, but elected officials don't realize that. Prior to the pandemic, Uh, It's important to remember that business travel uh, or non-leisure travel actually constituted well over half of the revenue that the hotel industry generated each and every year. So when you hear us talk about business travel and and the lack of it returning, um, it's a really important stuff. Again, I'll go back to the fact that over two years, the industry lost $165 billion. Um, The assistance we were able to get through advocating uh, with all of our partners like yourself from the federal government was a little over $50 billion. So that created that whole of 110 to 115 billion dollars that we're trying to fill, and it's not going to be filled uh, if we don't get business travel back. And so we're constantly surveying folks ourselves through our industry, and also the general traveling public uh, through our friends at Morning Consult to find out, hey, what's happening? And so people are saying that they're starting to go back to business traveler. Um, it is beginning to shift back. Um, it, it, to a, a level that we probably saw maybe back in the early 2000 teens, maybe 2012 to 2015, but nowhere near what it was in 2019. Um, and so when you ask people about you know, whether they're going to travel or not, you see about two thirds of Americans saying that it's incredibly important to get back out on the road there for business travel. When you ask business travelers themselves how important it is, that number goes almost up to 80%. And so I think there's a recognition that it has to happen for business to return to normal. I think there's a recognition that you'll be more profitable if you get out and get back and meet your customers face-to-face. But there's still some fear out there and there's still people who have become comfortable um, just leaning too much on technology is what I would say and not the personal touch. And that's not what our industry is about. And I I think we'll eventually get back to, to, to to the normal that we saw, but it's going to take a couple more years. 
Yeah, I think as much as people have enjoyed sitting around in their sweats on Zoom calls, uh, that face-to-face interaction is is missed. Uh, so it's it's good to hear that we're we're seeing a return to that, and that people are anxious to get back out. Uh, yeah, eighty percent of just regular Americans say that face-to-face interactions are important from for maximizing the success of your business. Eighty-six percent of business travelers say it's important, and so I think people intuitively understand why this why this matters. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Is that information available if anybody who's listening wants to go and look at some of the results of that survey? Absolutely. We post all of our survey information on our website at ahla.com. We also had a, a we had a white paper uh, white paper created uh, through San Diego State University and their School of Hospitality and Tourism, and it, it has a lot of the same information talking about how important face to face meetings are. And so you can find all of that. There's a wealth of it on our website. Fantastic. Appreciate that. I'm going to shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about uh, AHLA and the AHLA Foundation. Uh, They've undertaken a number of initiatives to kind of help with some various issues in the hospitality sector. And I I want to focus on two of them, starting with uh, no room for trafficking. What can you tell us about the program, uh, the training, and what lodging properties can do to help stop human trafficking in their establishments? Well, first, take the training. It is absolutely free. Uh, We have teamed up with Ekpat and Marriott uh, over the last few years to create products. Our newest version should be coming out later this year, Uh, but create products that are free that can be used by every single hotel employee. And that's our goal. No Room for Trafficking has a single goal, and it is to stop human trafficking through training. And so um, we have thankfully already trained over 600,000 hoteliers just in the last couple of years. But, you know, we'll never get to the end because there are always more people entering the industry and there's always more training to do, better training. And so we continue to work on that. It's easy, it's simple, and it's free. We pledged from the very beginning that we would spend whatever resources necessary. Our friends at Marriott have joined us in that uh, to make sure that the training is always, always free. Uh, and so if you're a hotelier out there, use it. Even if you're not a hotelier, you want to use it, feel free to, feel free to use it. But um, we think it's incredibly important. All right. That's great. I appreciate that. And again, that information is available on your website. Yes, sir. It's all there. Great. All right. Before we talk about the second initiative, we are going to take a short break and thank our sponsor for today's podcast. So we'll be right back. Are you in need of quality alcohol server training and certification? Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association pioneered online server training in Oregon. Approved by the OLCC, Orla's online alcohol server training allows you to get training when you need it, available 24-7. Training and exam costs only $18 and is valid statewide for five years. Get started today at OregonAlcoholServer.com. All right, welcome back to Boiled Down. We are discussing federal advocacy for the lodging industry and a few other topics with Chip Rogers with the American Hotel and Lodging Association. And before the break, we talked about the initiative No Room for Trafficking, uh, the second initiative I'd like to ask you about is the hospitality is working effort. Staffing shortages, uh, you know, continue to be an issue for the hospitality industry. And AHLA and the AHLA Foundation, I know, have done some really exciting work around investing in the workforce, supporting our communities, and really protecting employees and guests. Can you elaborate on the efforts and the tools that are available around this issue? Well, thanks for asking, Greg. There's so much to this. You know, I recently had the opportunity to have a group of the nation's largest hotel management companies in my office and was talking to their CEOs. And I asked, what are the three biggest challenges you face in operating hotels right now? And the first guy I answered, and he summed it up for everybody perfectly. He said, the top three challenges are labor, labor, labor. (laughs) 
And so um, it, it is undeniably in the worst shape it's ever been. And, and there's so many things that are contributing to this. Uh, I'll take a few minutes to answer this because I think it's so important for us to recognize if we're going to solve the problem, we need to understand the problem. First and foremost, the American workforce is shrinking. Um, in 2000, if you look at the top 20 industrialized economies in the world, we were second in workforce participation rate. By the year 2020, we had fallen all the way to the third from the bottom among those same 20 uh, economies. And so fewer Americans are working. Younger people are starting their careers later. Older people are ending their careers earlier. Uh, fewer Americans are having children. And so the population growth is not keeping up. Um, and when you take a look at all of that, you recognize, okay, we got a workforce participation problem that can only be solved by increasing the labor coming into the industry. And I'll talk about that in just one second. But then for our industry specifically, when you layer on top of that, that since the pandemic began, we've had the highest quit rate, the highest turnover rate of any industry out there. Um, the average length of stay for a housekeeper is six months. And so when you're turning over a single position twice and you recognize that every time that position turns over, there's 30% additional cost on top of it, you recognize just how incredibly expensive this is. And so we're taking this head on. We created the campaign, uh, The Hotel Industry, A Place to Stay. And it's meant to show people that there are more than 200 career pathways uh, for our industry, and many of them can be extremely lucrative. Um, you know, when I'm speaking on this subject, I remind people, yeah, you can probably go get a good paying job with good benefits working in a warehouse right now, but are you, is that really what you want to do? In the long term, is that going to fulfill you with the human interaction that you need and servicing others? I don't think so. And, and our industry does have the opportunity to do that. You get to be with people every day. No two days are the same. Uh, you can travel the world. You get to work in wonderful places. And again, there's 200 career paths. So there's so many different ways you can go. And you know, if there were ever a time to join an industry, now is the time to join the hotel industry because your ability to move up quickly is better than it's ever been. So we started this campaign. Um, it is a social media campaign with both paid and, and, uh, and non-paid advertising. Our first five markets are Columbus, Dallas, Denver, Miami, and Phoenix. Um, and we're trying to simply change the narrative. And so you can go to our website. Um, there's a, and we have a micro site too called The Hotel Industry. Uh, check it out. But the only way this is going to be successful is if all of us are willing to spread this through social media. This stuff has to go viral. I hear people all the time say, well, that's great. Um, you know, what can I do? Well, what you can do is help spread the message because we don't have hundreds of millions of dollars that would be necessary to put up ads on television. This has got to go viral. It's got to go through social media. And we know that can work um, if we can get enough people doing it. So you can go to the AHLA website and that'll send you there, or you can just go to the hotelindustry.com and you'll see all the videos that you can share with anybody. Um, but if we do this right, we can start changing the narrative. And then the final thing I'll say, and you know, it's kind of where we started, Greg, at the beginning, talking about advocacy. When we think about you know, what our workforce challenges are, it's one thing for us to convince the workforce that we have now to come work in our industry. That's always going to be difficult. But the long-term uh, way to solve this, of course, is to increase the number of people that are eligible to work. You know, this argument that uh, people are coming into the country and taking jobs that, uh, you know, that Ameri American jobs, that may have been true a few years ago, but right now there's more jobs out there than, than there are Americans willing to fill them. And so we're kind of in a little bit different place. There is a way to do this right, do this properly, uh, but we look at it through two lenses. One, legitimate immigration reform that addresses the business needs of the country and addresses the opportunity for people to come into this country and work legally. That's really, really important. The second part is the visa program. Now, it already exists. Um, we had some big success this year getting another 35,000 additional H-2B visas. 
but that only scratches the surface. You know, there's hundreds of thousands of open jobs right now in hotels that are going unfilled and there just aren't the people to do them. And wages have gone through the roof. As you know, many positions in a hotel have seen 20% year over year wage increases. So it's not about not paying well. It's not about uh, a, a lack of flexibility. All that exists right now. There just aren't enough people to fill the jobs. Yeah, you mentioned wages, and I know we've seen hiring and retention bonuses offered. We've seen higher than normal wages offered. I do think that uh, one of the challenges is, as you mentioned, you know, 200 career paths. Um, I think that most people, when they think about our industry, especially on the lodging side, they think about obviously housekeeper, maybe front desk, maybe you know, manager, but they don't think a lot of the back of the house stuff where you're talking about accounting and some of the financial jobs and just the myriad of positions that are available to people in our industry uh, that would really match with what they want to do. So um, I think it's critical that we get that out. I'm glad that you, you have that information out there for everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I think it's both the career pathways and it's the earning opportunities. I think people uh, incorrectly believe that the industry is one that, has, that pays low wages, and that's just simply not the truth. And it's incumbent on us to spread the truth. Yeah. Well, uh, in Oregon, I'm going to shift gears again. One of the things we're seeing is kind of more cities and counties that are developing legislation around limiting short-term rentals. And I'm sure it's not just Oregon. I'm sure we're seeing this across the, the country. But can you talk about AHLA's position on short-term rentals as it relates to, say, the difference between an individual who has a rental that they're uh, putting out there on the market and maybe some of the big tech companies, um, as well as the PLAN Act and how it fits into the overall picture? Yeah, great question. Well, we fight this every day, everywhere. You know, you are having some cities, thankfully, doing the right thing. We just had a huge victory in Honolulu um, just last week in making sure that, um, that if you're renting out a short-term rental as a business, and that business is the exact same business as the hotel down the street, then you need to play by the same rules. It's actually a very, very simple matter. It gets a little frustrating when I talk to policymakers and, and they talk about free markets. And I'm like, look, no one's a bigger fan of the free market than me, our industry. But free markets, everyone has to play by the same rules. You can't have a completely different set of rules. And unfortunately, you have a lot of lawmakers who don't understand what these short-term rental companies have become. They are, for the, in large part, no longer an individual renting out you know, their basement or even their house. Um, these are companies that are coming in buying hundreds, if not thousands of residences and turning them into hotels. And they're buying them in residential neighborhoods. That's why you hear all the stories about the party houses. There was one over the weekend uh, with a bunch of shootings happening at a party house. And that's why you have zoning. Now, if you're a lawmaker and you don't believe there should be any zoning whatsoever, okay, at least you're pure in your position. Now, I find that to be illogical and I find that to be an encroachment on my private property rights. If the person next to me in a residential house can turn their property into a commercial property, turn it into a party house, I don't know who's there. There's different people every single day and they're operating like a hotel. Well, if they're going to do that, um, I, I think that encroaches upon my rights, but they should at least be regulated in the same way that a hotel is. And so on one hand, we're seeing more cities do that. On the other hand, you have some states that are considering terrible legislation like Florida, like Tennessee, like Michigan, that would prevent local governments from enforcing any rules against these short-term rentals and allow that to only be an operation of the state, which I, we think is a very dangerous public policy because a state lawmaker is never going to understand what's happening in specific neighborhoods and specific small cities inside their state. That's really should be left up to the local government to determine what is best for happening in their community. And so we fight this everywhere. 
the Plan Act um, was something that we had, uh, we worked with Congress to get introduced a couple of years ago. Um, it would simply say that these big tech companies like an Airbnb cannot hide under the shield of what's known as CDA 230 to list properties that are illegal. And that's what's happening. These, these tech companies are actually listing properties that the local governments have said are illegal short-term rentals. And the tech companies then hide behind CDA 230 and say, well, you can't come after us because we have this protection. We think that's wrong. Uh, in, in America, we don't generally let people advertise for businesses that are illegal in any locality. Uh, and the fact that they can get away with it is just fundamentally wrong. And so it's very simple theory. It goes back to this. If you want to be in the hotel business, the lodging business, and you want to rent out properties every single day, and you're a business doing it, well, then just play by the same rules. If you're a mom and pop who wants to rent out their basement or their house you know, on a football weekend, I don't think anyone in our industry cares about that at all. And if you want to exempt those folks, that's perfectly fine. But those businesses that are competing directly with hotels just compete by the same rules. That's all we're saying. Yeah, well said. That's uh, I know a, a refrain that we continue to to say here in Oregon as well. Whether it's on our restaurant side or the lodging side, it's just as long as we have a fair playing field, I think we're all we're all good with that. Well, Chip, we've covered a lot of topics, but is there anything that we haven't touched on that you'd like to talk about today for our listeners? Well, Greg, just so important for people to engage with ORLA at the state level. Um, with AHLA at the federal level. And of course, we work together very closely. And so we're supportive of each other and all that we do. But, you know, people sometimes wake up one day and they wonder, well, how did that happen? Why did that happen? That's hurting my business. Well, if you're not getting involved, you're going to see more of that. I ask the question all the time and no one's ever got this question wrong. I'm, I say, in 10 years, do you think the government's going to be smaller, less intrusive and less involved in your business and your life? And no one ever says yes. Everyone intuitively knows that, yes, government is going to be more engaged, going to get bigger, and going to have more to do with my business and my life. Well, if you know that's the case, then you need to get involved. And so get involved with ORLA, get involved with AHLA. Sometimes getting involved doesn't mean we're asking you for money. We just need you to build relationships with local elected officials to help us deliver the message of all the good things that our industry is doing, the jobs that we're providing, the economic activity that we create. Uh, and, and if you're helping us deliver that message, you'll be surprised at just how much better protected uh, we will be in the long term. Well, that's great. And yes, uh, we appreciate that. We will underscore that message as well, that getting to know your local elected officials, your state elected officials uh, can be incredibly important. Uh, I know AHLA has had a day on the hill at, uh, in Washington, D.C. previously. You've moved to, I think, some more kind of regional uh, meetings to get to know folks. Can you talk a little bit about some of that advocacy work and how people can get involved directly? Yeah, we'll go back to our in-person meetings uh, starting next year. You have to keep in mind that the, the Capitol technically has been closed since the pandemic began. Um, you can go in if you have a personal invitation, then you have to be escorted. But it makes it really makes the fly-ins almost impossible. Um, we believe that's going to uh, the Republicans have mentioned that if they take uh, take over the Capitol, be reopened again. And when you look at the polling, that looks somewhat likely to happen. But either way, whether um, there's a new Democrat speaker or a new Republican speaker, we think it'll open up uh, uh, after November. And so we'll go back to that next year. Um, with our local meetings, we are having AHLA on the road where we're joining with uh, folks like yourself and everybody in the hotel industry at 11 different places around the country this year. We've already done two, so we've got nine left to go. Uh, please check it out. It's on our website and, and come to the one that's closest to you. Well, that's great. Well, I look forward to joining you again in DC one of these days uh, next year, it sounds like. So uh, always been a pleasure to get out and do that. And again, 
Chip, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, we're going to take another quick break, and then we'll come back with our Advocacy Watch. Get your staff trained and certified for serving alcohol by Oregon's highest quality training provider for the hospitality industry. Orla provides easy-to-follow, interactive online training that is valid statewide for five years. Employees can get the state-mandated alcohol server training they need on their schedule, and now for only $18. Go to OregonAlcoholServer.com today. Welcome back to Advocacy Watch. This is the portion of the podcast where we look at some of the upcoming issues that you need to know about. Oregon OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Division, announced recently the adoption of rules to protect workers from the hazards of high heat and wildfire smoke. The heat rule addresses access to shade and cool water, preventative cool-down breaks and prevention plans, information, and training. The wildfire smoke rule includes an array of exposure assessments and controls, as well as training and communication. The rules, which take effect June 15th for heat and July 1st for wildfire smoke, are the most protective of their kind in the United States. For more information, you can go to osha.oregon.gov. And if you have any questions, please contact OSHA or myself, Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs at the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. We want to make sure that you're not a target for overtime and tip pool violations. So we're hosting a seminar, a webinar for restaurant and lodging operators that addresses frequent questions relating to employment laws and compliance with FLSA, overtime and tip pooling in Oregon. You can hear more on what issues operators are having the most difficulty with, how they can prepare for a potential contact from the Department of Labor, and the top three things employers need to be aware of to avoid an investigation. This webinar will also cover key resources to help keep employers and employees in compliance with wage laws. For more information, you can visit OregonRLA.org, where we'll have registration information as well as the date and time for that webinar. And finally, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has indicated he's going to bring the Small Business COVID Relief Act of 2022 up for a vote this week. The $48 billion bill includes $40 billion for RRF replenishment and $8 billion in support for other industries deeply impacted by the pandemic. To contact your senator or for more information on this bill, please go to OregonRLA.org. I want to thank Chip Rogers, President and CEO for the American Hotel and Lodging Association, once again for joining us. I'm Greg Astley, Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Restaurant and Lodging Association. Thanks for listening.